Uh, I want to start with reading from Revelations, Revelations chapter 2. If, if we can, at any point you can hear this radio, let us know so that the air conditioners are on so it makes it a little, makes it a little harder to hear. So, And also, we can keep the doors shut too because it's keep us cool in here, everybody be comfortable. Okay. Here in chapter 2, if you can hear me back there, good. Um, it starts with, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them that are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Now if we stop there, you would think everything is really wonderful with this uh, leader of the church. But he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Uh, I was thinking about this and how, okay, this has been, this was spoken 2,000 years ago. It was a condition of this person. Now, I, I was, I don't know whether this is correct, but I, I was told that Timothy was the leader of this church. The, angel of this church. I don't know. But anyhow, there's a per there's a point. Now, we can read this and say, hmm, I wonder what it really was. What was his first love that he left? But I want to I wanna, uh, look at today's Christianity and how we can learn something from this statement about where we stand with our God. Um, it came to me uh, this morning, I was thinking about that, and Ann and I on the way up, we talked a little bit about some of the conditions that exist today, and I said, you know what? The problem a lot of times that people have is they are trusting in their religion rather trusting God. Their, their relationship is with their church rather than with God, with Jesus. The first love is my love for Jesus. If I lose that, I begin to put my trust in what we as a church stand for 
and how we operate and, and compare that with other churches and and we are the best, you know. Usually we are the best. And uh, <laughs> you follow what I'm saying? <laughs> we have all kinds of churches who've sprung up from that kind of idea. And what's important for each one of us is that I remember who saved me, who came to save me, and that I need to go to him. And uh, I built my relationship with him <coughs> so that I have the Holy Spirit to guide me and give me a discernment of everything that is going on. If I don't have that, I have a religion. And I can trust in my religion, but it doesn't make me acceptable with God. Now, I want to go back to uh, Revelations and bring in something here. <clears throat> Chapter 17, if you turn with me to chapter 17, I will read in the beginning down through verse 5. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vows and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great poor that sitteth upon many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored feast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And, and upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth the mother of harlots. Um, see, the church developed in the beginning into what became in the end the Catholic Church. Um, and it seems like people want that get enlightened born again, a movement starts, and then they want to have a pattern to, to kind of follow how to set up a church function. Rather than let God build his church, they become, they establish a church function. And it all looks right and good. But it just adds some other one that uh, is functioning in, in a way that is, becomes competitive with all the others instead of becoming one in Christ. 
if you look back here, he was very zealous uh, in and taking care of, you know, searching out people that claimed to be uh, apostles and were not and so on. But he had left his first love. So, there's such a thing as the diff being able to discern the difference between what is the bride of Jesus and what is the harlot? How the bride of Jesus comes into being and how the harlot comes into being, how they work and function. And I, it would be good for us to have a study on that. If we take heed and are careful to keep our relationship alive with Jesus and help and ask him to help us to have discernment as to, you know, all, all this confusion. There's a lot of confusion in the world today about what is real true Christianity. People wonder, well, which church should I go to? If you, if we have the one thing that's important driving us forward, and that is my relationship with Jesus, that I hear from him. We want to be too quick in making decisions, so we kind of push him aside because maybe he hasn't really spoken to me about a certain thing, and I just move ahead with, well, this is the common practice. It's important that our relationship with Jesus becomes stronger, not weaker. It's important that I follow him and I have his word, but you know what we all need? We all need revelation over his word. Not just my opinion. Opinions come and go, and we can discuss them year in and year out. Well, what about this? What about that? Until we get revelation over it, revelation clears things up. Revelation makes me solid and sure. So, to have a life with God takes sacrifice. It takes spending time with God. Ron spoke last Sunday about spending time in prayer, an hour of prayer. That spoke to me. That was an encouragement to me. That helped change things for me to, to the better. So I praise God for that. And we don't want to come to the end of life and find out that we were putting our trust in the wrong thing. We want to have a relationship with Christ so that we can hear from Him in our heart and our conscience can be enlightened by Him. I will just leave it like that and encourage all of us, don't substitute your relationship with Christ and trusting in some sort of religion. It doesn't help us. May God bless us.
This morning I'm going to begin by looking in Ephesians chapter 5. One of the things that's very natural for us as Christians to do is to separate our life into two different parts. The spiritual and the secular. What I mean by that is, is that there is the spiritual things we do. We pray, we go to church, we do works of the ministry, works, quote, works of the ministry. But then there's the secular life too. We go to work, we eat our meals, we do this and that. You know, we work hard and all that. And it's not intended for that to be the way of the Christian. And so I want to read a, a few things in the, in the Scriptures here, and then we can draw some conclusions from them. One of the problems in Christendom is that we see... It's, it's easy for us to see the ministry and the layman. And it's not that way at all. If you, read the, if you read the New Testament, that's not the way it's spelled out. That each person who is in Christ has a ministry. And what is that ministry? You know, Sure, there's spiritual gifts and different things like that. But the ministry is far above, above that. The word minister means to serve. And serving the Lord was meant to be a full-time occupation. Not just these segments here and there and there, and then we just live our life. It's not that way at all. And so as we read the Scriptures, it kind of bears that out. As we go in here in Ephesians chapter 5, I mean Ephesians chapter 6, I meant, in verse 5. I think John referred to this this morning. Somebody did. Uh, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord, and not to men. We have to wrap our, wrap our mind around this and get a hold of this, and embrace this in our hearts, that the min, being a minister doesn't mean just being a missionary, or an elder, or pastor of a church, or a, you know, a deacon, or some of those things. It says here, that we should serve them in sincerity. The ministry was meant to be a way of life. And it to cover all parts of life. And not just in our working hours, but in our hours of leisure too. In our family time. In our meals. The ministry is supposed to be our life. A life of service to the Lord. And it, it points out here, like a slave, a servant. He says, 
you know, don't just do a my service. What does that mean, I service? That means just when everybody's looking, just when the boss is looking. You know, sometimes you see that at work. You see the boss driving by, and you watch some of the guys. They're working like 60 out there. They're they're going crazy and everything, and and, and they're working and sweating. And the boss drives away, and they lean on their shovel, and they're, you know. They're taking it easy, and then the boss comes by again, and there they are again, you know, like a machine going like crazy. That's eye service. But even when the boss isn't looking, guess what? God sees at all times. And we should be doing the work, whether we're on a job or at home, wherever, doing it as unto the Lord. There is no separation for the Christian between the ministry and secular. When we're doing our job our, at our job, or if we're doing a project at home, and we're with our children, you know, it's all meant to be ministered. And as we look at this, it says that we should be doing it not as men-pleasers, but as servants of Christ. Service, ministry. We have to begin to see our life as service to the Lord. Whatever we do. With goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men. We have to restructure the way we think about our life. Whether it's a mother taking care of her children or a father sitting down with her children at night and teaching them the Word of God. That's the ministry. That's the ministry. We're all ministers, servants of Christ. And, and when, when we're cooking food for our, for our family, or doing the laundry, or we're working on our car, or we're doing something, fixing the roof, or whatever we're doing, we're told to do it not as men-pleasers, but as service to Christ. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, says in verse 8, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. There is great blessing within our mind and our conscience and our heart with doing everything as unto the Lord. And there has to be a change. Because as Dan was saying, there's religion. Religion is separating this is a time of ministry, this is time for God, and this is time for me. It doesn't work that way. Jesus bought us with His blood. That's why it says we should honor God in our bodies. At all times. Not just when we're in church, but when we're on the road, and that guy cuts you off on the turnpike or something like that. I've seen some people do some wild things around me and crazy things around me while I'm driving on the road and get into near accidents because of their carelessness. But we're serving the Lord then too. The ministry of God is for all who are in Christ and at all times. And that means in our times, our spare times, our times of leisure. that we should do it as unto the Lord. And it says, And you masters do the same thing, giving up threatening, 
knowing that your own Master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with Him. Those that are in authority, authority at work, authority in the home, authority in the church, all those things. It says, be no threatening, no harshness, no authoritarianism, no dictatorship, but as a servant of Christ. We still are a servant of Christ when we're in authority. And even when we're exercising that authority, we must be servants of Christ. Then all of a sudden, we shouldn't turn into somebody else. I have worked for men who profess Christ, or my boss, and others would say to me, yeah, that man's a Christian, yeah, right. And again, and why is it? Because when you know that guy outside of the job, he's somebody else. When he's at church, he's somebody else. But when he puts on that that crown <laughs> of, of authority, he becomes somebody else. He becomes authoritative. He becomes harsh. He becomes demanding in ways that aren't good. Our testimony is we live for Christ. We live for Him. So from there, we're going to go to um, back to uh, the, the chapter before that, Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 7. <clears throat> Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you are once darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable or what pleases the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. <clears throat> that doesn't mean we should re- not reach out to those in darkness or to those who have backslidden, but have no fellowship with the works of darkness. That means in the area of entertainment. That means in the area of the things that we do in our life. The places that we go with people. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. It doesn't have anything to do with it. Darkness and light should have nothing to do with one another. So we, we should embrace that truth. So we go down to verse 15. It says, See then that you walk wisely or carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time or making the most of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
And do not be filled with wine, which is excessive or dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. The Christian life was meant to be a life of fellowship and to be a a life of shining our lights and being the salt of the earth in the midst of darkness, not being part of the darkness at any time. We're called to a life of holiness and to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And so we see this here that we should speak to one another, be filled with the Spirit and speak to one another and encourage one another and be committed, devoted to God's Word, the Apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to getting together and praying and having nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness. Nothing to do with that. What fellowship, Paul says, does light have with darkness? So from there, I'd like to go to the book of Colossians, chapter 3, which both both Ephesians and Colossians written by Paul, and some of it sounds very similar to Ephesians when we read in Colossians. Colossians, chapter 3, and verse 1. We've read many times. If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, not the things of this earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, we shall appear also with Him. Setting our mind on heavenly things is part of our. That is not part of our life. That is our life. We can get wrapped up on the things of this earth, and Jesus said they are thorns, they are weeds that will choke the word of God out, and you will be unfruitful. We are called to be fruitful. Jesus said, "I am the vine; you are the branches." It is the Father's will that you bring forth much fruit, but we won't bear fruit if we're wrapped up in the things of this life, caught up in the affairs of life, even just the normal things of everyday life, if we're caught up, if our mind is all wrapped up in them, we're not going to have our focus on the things that are important, the things that are needful, heavenly things. Setting our mind on heavenly things, it says because we have died with Christ. We have died with Him. And now our life is hidden with Christ in God. And now that when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. Now you see, He says He is our life. And we made this point many times. Jesus is now our life. He's not part of our life. He is our life. And if we're resisting that and trying to make Him part of our life, what's happening is what Dan read today. We're leaving our first love. Who is our first love? Jesus said, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. The first is to love God. And so when we get wrapped up in the things of this life, we're leaving our first love. We're leaving our love for the Lord. And we're getting caught up in the weeds and the thorns. And so just the same way as Jesus spoke in the book of Revelation, return to your first love. Repent and turn to your first love. Jesus, who gave His life for us. We love Him because He first loved us and gave Himself for us. Return to your first love. You see in, the, in that, that church of Ephesus that the people there, that they were, they were refusing any false doctrines, testing those who were coming among them and said they were prophets and found them, or apostles and said they were false. And they sent them away. They wouldn't receive them. And they were doing a lot of works for Christ. The works of Christ. They're doing a lot of the works of Christ. But Jesus got saw right to the heart of the matter. Yes, you're doing a lot of Christian things that you should be doing, but there's something wrong in your heart. You've left your love for me. And what you have is a church full of religion, of Christian religion. And there's a big difference. One brings life, the other brings death. Religion brings death. And we go to verse 15. Of chapter 3, Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body. And be thankful. And let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and correcting, warning. The word admonishing means to correct or to warn one another. In psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Singing in our hearts to the Lord. This is not talking about church meeting. This is talking about a way of life. Singing to the Lord as we go. Remember that, that old hymn that says, In my heart there is a melody. The songs, songs of praise in our heart. That's part of the Christian life. That's what we're called to. Let the Word of Christ live in you richly. When you think of something rich, it means there's a lot of something. You know, somebody who's rich has a lot of money. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Abundantly. And that doesn't happen without seeking God in His Word. I remember a brother of old, a couple centuries ago, George Mueller, he was asked, because he, he gave these great sermons, he was asked, you know, how do you prepare for these great sermons you're preaching? How do you do it? And he says, when I have a sermon, he says, I don't prepare for it. He says, what I do is I pray for God to speak to my heart. And I come to the Word of God and I let God speak to me as I read His Word. And the Holy Spirit teaches me for myself. 
And whatever the Holy Spirit teaches me, then I teach that to others. Because that's what my preaching is. What God's teaching me. Go about to teach it to others. He's learning from God. Dan used the word revelation this morning. The word revelation means revealed. That we should receive revelation from God. That we should come to God's Word and allow God to reveal things to us. To speak to us. And guide us through His Word. And as He does, we learn. Jesus says, come to me. Put your yoke on me and learn from me. For I am humble and lowly in heart. You shall find rest for your soul. Learn from Jesus. And as we learn from Jesus, as we come to Him, He teaches us. We look in His Word with expectation. Lord, teach us. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. So as we look into the Word of God, God will speak to us. And as, as the Holy Spirit guides us. And as He guides us into all truth, He teaches us. And what He teaches us was not just meant for us. We should rake it in for us first. As we look in God's Word, we shouldn't say, Oh, i got to tell this to someone. So when i got that, wait a second. Hold on, Bubba. You take that in first yourself. What God's speaking to you is meant for you. And you you rake that in and, and take that into your heart. And then afterwards, God will give you an avenue to speak that to others. As God teaches us, as we God gives us a word for us, and share that word. Let the peace of God rule in our hearts. You know, we can have a time of prayer and, and reading God's Word, have a great time of fellowship with the Lord and be a complete peace. And then we go to work or we do our duties during the day and all of a sudden we become a train wreck. That's because we're separating time with the Lord with time doing other things. That should be a continuation. The fellowship with the Lord is not supposed to stop when we get off our knees and we stop reading His Word. It should continue. Christ is our life. Not part of our life. So, that fellowship should continue. An awareness of His presence should continue beyond our devotional time. An awareness of Him. And I'll tell you what. If you have that awareness of Him as the day goes on, you're going to be, your mind is going to be in a different place. God's peace is going to continue in your heart. That's why it says, let the peace of God rule your heart. Because we can be ruled with a lot of anxieties and a lot of pressures and a lot of affairs of this life. That's how we become unfruitful. That's where the problem begins. We become unfruitful. Because our our time of fellowship with the Lord has stopped. Supposed to continue in our day. Christ is our life. And it says in verse 17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You mean to tell me that as the day goes on, that we're supposed to do everything in the name of Jesus? 
going to make us live differently, isn't it? If we're doing everything in the name of Jesus. We're not going to let those certain words come out of our mouth. We're not going to let those evil thoughts infest our, and fester in our minds. And that anger and that bitterness has got to go. Because we're doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that includes our thoughts. Because it says here, whatever you do in word or in deed, do in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let the peace of God rule in our hearts. In our minds. And this is the life of the Christian. That sounds impossible to do to just keep on thanking the Lord all day long for everything He's doing and and just you know doing everything that comes out of our mouth and every work hand, thing that our hand we set our hand to doing it in the name of Jesus. That sounds impossible. With men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. This is the way the Holy Spirit is leading us. The Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. He wouldn't tell us to do something that was not possible in some way. And it's possible as we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. This is what He's telling us to do. I didn't, this isn't my words. This is the words of the Lord. This is, I'm not trying to tell people to do something impossible. We're just talking, we're just reading the Word of God and what it's saying and embracing it. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus in our words, and our deeds. The Bible says that we have the mind of Christ. So that means our thoughts should not be the thoughts of the carnal mind, but spiritual. So that means even when we're, you know, figuring out how to build something, or whatever we're doing in our job, or whether we're training a pet, or whatever we're doing, there has to be that awareness. And it is something that we must grow in. It sounds like a mountain that's unclimbable. But you just have to put one foot in front of the other and begin at the beginning of the mountain and begin to climb. And to grow as a Christian. And to grow in these areas that we kind of brush aside. Uh, it seems impossible. It seems unfeasible. But it's the Word of God. It's a message to the Christian. And we begin to put it into practice. And maybe we did it part of the day the first day. Maybe we did it for a couple hours and then we completely forgot. But then we have to come back to that. We remember. We come back to that. And we begin to fight that fight to be spiritually minded all day long. Because with the spiritual mind comes life and peace. Ron, can I speak into that? Let the peace of God blow in your heart. Please do. Um, so, speak loud. Yeah. Um, so let the peace of God rule in your heart. You know, we we're just talking about the Word of God, right? And, and so, but we know the Word of God became flesh. The Word of God is a man. You know, we're not studying this book just to know a bunch of things about God. We're growing into a relationship with God. And so, you know, we look at the, at the lives of great men of faith, right? Uh, we look at David as a boy. You know, He's going to visit his brothers and as they're as they're at war against the Philistines. And there's this champion of the Philistines, right? He, he's probably about ten feet tall. He's going out forty days and forty forty days presenting himself before Israel and, and basically, you know, putting them to shame, saying, you know, uh, you know, he's defying the, the, the God of Israel. 
But then you have this little boy, a shepherd boy, come up. And he's rooted in the promises. He spent time with God. You know, the, the, the Word of God wasn't just a word to him. He knew God. He had a relationship with God. So when David sees the giant, he don't see the giant. He sees the promises. He sees his God, who is so much greater than anything that could ever, come, you know, be mounted up against us. You know, we see that also with uh, was it Elijah or Elisha uh, when they he, he, they were being surrounded by was this him and his servant? They're being surrounded by by the armies of Syria. Elisha. Elisha. Yeah. They're being surrounded by the armies of Syria. But his servant can't see the way that he sees. Because his servant had, hadn't spent time with God the way that Elisha did. So as these armies are coming up against them, his, his servant says, we're done. You know, it, you know we're, we're going to be defeated. But Elisha says, those who are for us are more than, more than those who are against us. And so the servant's eyes are opened up, and there's a multitude of angels all, all surrounding around, all surrounding them. And, and so, you know, this this letting the peace of God rule in your heart, you know, as we grow in relationship with Him, that becomes real. You know, um, like I, I just had this picture of just being, I remember being a child, and some, sometimes there's bullies, you know, um, and I remember there was a, uh, a one bully, and I had my cousin come with me, you know, older 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 boy and you know and I, and I felt real strong when I had my cousin with me you know, that's how God wants to walk with us you know, as real as it, as it was for me to have, have my cousin walking with me to, to confront the bully you know God is with us in the circumstances you know he is just he's just as with me as Dan is and, and Ron is on either side of me but it's growing in that relationship with him that when the circumstances come in you know the scriptures say that God holds my right hand. You know that, that He is greater, and, and that that these things will will submit to us in Christ. You know we will triumph in Him. We're more than conquerors. So. so after it says, "Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God and Father through Him." What do you think it talks about next? <clears throat> it talks about marriage. Wives submitting to their husbands as fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be builder bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they be discouraged. It begins right after that talking about family life. Isn't that interesting? Domestic situations. And it doesn't just talk about them here. It talks about them in other places too. But being a minister of Christ as we talked about, is everybody's calling. And doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus and giving thanks also is supposed to come into the home in our interactions between husband and wife, parents and children, children and parents. And it's supposed to act, we're supposed to live this out in our home and to put away all hypocrisies and I tell you that if a husband and wife are committed to this, it's going to be the end of marital strife and contention and all that tug of war of the wills. 
Because God has a certain arrangement in marriage. That was His idea, not ours. God invented marriage. We didn't invent it. He invented it. You go back to the Garden of Eden. And God begins, pronounces the whole the beginning of marriage. He knows what He's talking about. And if we listen to Him, we will have a successful and holy marriage. To a husband and wife, both committed to God's Word, they're going to have a holy marriage. So the ministry was meant to be in the home. I've heard of preachers that travel over the country, you know, evangelism and everything, and different things like that, and they have no time for their children when they're growing up. They're little children. They, their parents are, their fathers are a complete stranger to them, just about. See them once in a while. They're always doing the work of the ministry. Well, the ministry begins at home. And it says fathers. There's, there's commands to fathers teaching your children the right way to go. In the nurture and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, raise up your children in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. That's the ministry. That's part of the ministry. A big part of it for parents. For mothers and fathers. And the message for, 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 for people who are not yet adults. And the great promises in In chapter 4, in verse 2, it says, Continue earnestly in prayer. Last week, we heard about fervently pray. This way it says earnestly pray. In prayer, being vigilant in it, that means watchful in it, with thanksgiving. In verse 5 it says, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you should ought, ought to answer each one. The ministry is not just going out knocking on doors. The ministry is about everyone who God brings, it, brings into your path. And some of them may be giving you a hard time. In business, they come to your home, or even in the church. It says our speech should always be with grace. You've got to learn to speak always with grace because this is the living out of the Christian life. Seasoned with salt. Jesus said we are the salt of the earth. doesn't mean that we're called to be a Bible machine bombarding people with Bible verses. But our, our speech should be seasoned with salt. So that we may know how to answer every man. Each one, it says. So... <clears throat> Just to finish up, I'd like to just have us, each of us examine ourselves. Is what have we been doing? God said to Adam and Eve, where are you? Where are we at? Where are we at spiritually? Is our life like this? I remember 
our old dear brother Paul Yoder used to say, the biggest room in the house is the room of, for improvement. <laughs> and I think that we can all improve. I know I can improve. If we have no target to shoot for, then we're aimless. We have to have something to aim for. And this is what we're aiming for, to live our lives completely holy as unto the Lord. Doing everything as unto, living our whole lives as unto Jesus. Doing it all in the name of the Lord. That's my target. That's our target. And we should embrace that. And be conscious and aware of it. And to begin to climb. To grow in that. We all have room for improvement in it. Praise the Lord. Any brothers have any further comments or anything? I think, I think of this song. You guys haven't heard it, but it goes like this. Hallelujah to God our praise shall be. From our darkness He's setting us free. We were once gone in sin, but now victory we win. And I'm thinking of this message as an aid to that goal. Amen. Yeah.